the rest of us, we, um, we want to continue our, our discussion, our investigation, our look at knowing God, the quest. And today we, we begin the, the final installment. Now, notice I said we begin the final installment. Anyways, um, <laughs> that's right. I, well, I ever come to, you'll never come to an end of knowing God. And so, um, and actually, I shouldn't even say this is the final installment. At the end of my last message, my projector's not on. At the end of my final message in this, um, I'll actually say that we'll begin the final installment because the final installment is what? Living it. Yeah, you just knowing it and, and knowing God. And, uh, but as we've, been, as we've been looking at knowing God throughout this past year, we have considered the fact that the, the core of eternal life, knowing God, is, is, is right in the midst of it. And Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so my, my desire, my plea for each person is that they would know God. Know God, and again, as I shared last week, um, I really don't, I don't want to get there on that day, and be either in the jury box or on the witness stand or whatever situation that would be, and find out that somebody who I've had the opportunity to talk to, to teach, to influence, is being led to the lake of fire, and um, and having no hope in Christ, and so that's just, I, I can't imagine a worse moment um, than that. Um, to, to see somebody I know and I could have influenced. And so I pray that as you've been here, that um, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that, um, that you'll, you'll change. But if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, that you haven't, you're not just content there. You're not going to be apathetic, lethargic, but that you have a great desire to, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus and to, to know Him better and deeper. And as we've Gone through this year, we have considered the existence and exclusiveness of God. We've looked at the composition of God. We've looked at the attributes of God, those that were natural attributes, his vocational attributes, and his moral attributes. And today, we want to begin considering um, a, a new segment of, of who God is. Through, and it's really the illustration that we've used this year about the ocean, really fi- fits into this really well. Um, as we've considered the, um, the ocean, we talked about how God is like that ocean and how people can be living out in Omaha or Pittsburgh or wherever, and they know an awful lot about the ocean, but they've never been to the ocean. And so, but some people may have come into proximity of the ocean, as the arrow there points, and, and, but yet never have stepped into the ocean. And there are people who come to church, they, they, they come into proximity of believers and people who know Jesus Christ, but they themselves have never stepped their foot into it. And we said that that is life eternal, taking that step and, and going into the ocean, beginning to experience who God is. Feeling, if you would, the, the coolness of the water, or the warmness, depending on where you're at, I guess. Um, the saltiness of the water, the, the thrust of the waves, the... The, the, how the sand moves kind of under your feet as the, as the tide comes through and, and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot in God to learn. And, and honestly, this whole year, that's where we've been. We've been just inside that, the edge of the water. We've been waiting. We haven't really gone out into the, 
to the, to the deep waters at all until today. Some of us are going to be content to stay back in the, uh, in the, in the, in the tow-waiting tow area. It's safe there. It's, it's comfortable there. I can, I can sit on my, my, my tush, if you would, and, and I can kind of play games in the water, and if I want to, I can run back out into the sand, and I can build sand castles, and, and then I can have, you know, the kind of water comes in and just touches into me, and, and you know, so I, I can, I, it's, it's comfortable there. It's safe. I don't know if you've ever gone a little bit too far out into the ocean, where all of a sudden the wave came in, and your feet didn't um, touch anymore, and all of a sudden there was this moment of what? Fear. Yeah. Oh, where, where am I at? And especially if you're not a strong swimmer. Because, honestly, even in the ocean, we like to be what? In control. You know? And in that ocean, you know, honestly, it, it has no respect for you. There, it, is, it is like God. There is no respecter of persons when it comes to the ocean. That, that, that wave is going to come in, and it's going to crash on you, whether you're Goliath size or whether you're Andrew's size. And you, as Goliath, may be able to stand out a whole lot further than Andrew is. And so it may not affect you, but you know, in your spiritual walk, you may be at different places. But even if you're Goliath, quote-unquote, spiritually speaking, there comes a place where you walked a little bit too far, and you found a ledge. And guess what? You're in over your head. And no matter who you are and how big and bad you are, spiritually speaking, if you seek to know God and to continue the quest, you're going to find a place where God is outside of your box. And He is bigger than you've ever experienced Him to be or comprehended Him to be. And you know what? He's fully outside of your control. Isn't that an awful thought? That I can't control God. That he can do whatever he pleases. And so today we want to begin that topic of the will of God, or what I've referred to it as, the desires of God. Our wills, if you would, are the consequence, the results of our desires. You each have a myriad of desires within you. And those desires are conflicting to have supremacy over your decisions. You're going to make choices. And the choices that you make, your will, if you would, the expression of your will, is really going to come as a result of the desires that you have within you. I have the desire to, to serve the church minister. But I have a desire to please my wife. I also have a desire to go hunting with my sons. All three of those are good desires. Yes? I mean, those are all, I would say, my will. It's my will, if you would, to serve. It's my will to love my wife like Christ of the church. It's my will to bring up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And although all three of those are good desires, I have a lot of desires that probably wouldn't be in the classification of good, 
But anyways, those are the good ones. I, if I'm going to paint a picture of myself, I want to at least paint good pictures, right? But though they're all good, and the overarching desire would be that I desire to glorify God, there are times when I can accomplish all three of those at the same time. But the reality is that a lot of times those three good desires, what? Conflict. They conflict. Conflict for my time. Conflict for my attention. Conflict for my treasures. They conflict for everything I am. But ultimately, if you want to boil it down to, they conflict for a decision. Because ultimately, I have to make a choice. I have to make a decision. I have to express my, my will. I'm going to give counsel. There is going to be numerous different, as I give counsel, parenting counsel or, or pastoral counsel, there are probably numerous times many different thought processes and desires that go on within me. And one of those is going to be normally, I mean, I like to always say, well, it could be this, it could be that. Anyways, but normally, if I have to come down to it, I'm going to make a decision. If I said to you, you're one of my, my kids, and... Um, you know, they've got the, uh, the, the Tom and Jerry's ice cream on sale, you know, 10 for 10 type thing. And not the ones they got on sale now, they're real small. But in the past, they've had the real big ones on there, you know, like the, the half-court sizes or whatever, you know, nice size ones. And I've taken my kids in, into, I think it was Publix where they did it. It might have been Food Line anyways. And, and I let them there at the, at the ice cream place. And I said, you can what? Pick any one of these that you want. But how many could you pick, Andrew? One. One. Isn't that a bummer? Because now you look at it, and there are what? A dozen to two dozen different flavors. Now, I can instantly rule out a couple of them, okay? And they might be different ones than you rule out, but you probably can look at a couple of them and say, I don't think so. That's too sweet for me, or that's too bitter for me. But honestly, I love ice cream. George, do I get an amen out of that? Okay, good. I mean, I, I, oh, Bluebell. Or May, Mayfield, okay? Anyways, um, we, we, we do, see, we do have our desires that are expressed. I mean, you go to there, the ice cream container, but it could, might be only Kroger, and George is going to say, what? I don't want ice cream that bad, okay? So, so even though George is a lover of ice cream, he has his, his uh, standards, his desires. <laughs> and, uh, but for my kids, they stand there, and they see all these different flavors, but they, even though they have a desire for chocolate, and they have a desire for um, for, for mint chocolate chip, and they have a desire for cookie dough, and they have a desire for this. There's not one there that is full of what? All of them. You know, we put a bite of each one in here for you, just in case you wanted it at all. It doesn't happen that way. In that moment, that moment, half an hour later, we're still standing there. No, anyways. But in the time frame that I give them, they have to somehow cause the greatest desire to come to the surface and make a decision of their will. Now that's kind of mundane, isn't it? But you know what? It's the same process as loving my wife, serving you, serving God. If I want chocolate ice cream more than I want to serve you, what am I going to do? I'm going to go eat chocolate ice cream. That's exactly right. You got it, Christopher. Christopher's on this thing. He's, he's, his, his face is just beaming. Chocolate ice cream, we're, we're there. <laughs> but if I desire to serve you, 
more than I desire to, serve, to eat chocolate ice cream. And if there is a need in the body, what am I going to do? Come on. I'm going to serve you. you. Some of you are kind of, I'm not quite sure at this moment. <laughs> I'm going to serve you. Well, the same thing is true with God. God has um, many different desires. When we talk about the will of God, we talk about the permissive will of God. We talk about the decreed will of God. We can talk about the secretive will of God. There are all these different wills out there that, that theologians, remember theology is the study of God, okay? And so they've broken God down, they've compartmentalized God, and they've got God's will in all these different boxes. But over the last couple of weeks, and I'm not there yet, I remember that arrow that was out there in the deep part? I'm, I'm, right now I'm treading as best as I can. I just want you to know that, okay? My feet are not touching the bottom at all, and there's part of my body that's panicked, you know, just trying to tread the water and... and and, and throw you a lifeline while I'm doing it, you know? It just doesn't happen. Anyways, going through all the passages in the scriptures, dealing with the desires, pleasures, will, counsels of God, there is so much that is there for us to, to learn. But God's will, like our will, is the expression of his desires, which are consistent with his being, with his composition, his plan, and his attributes. So all those things that we've, we've kind of checked out while we were sitting in, the, in the, the waiting pool, if you would, are going to now come to fruition as we begin to look at his desires, his will. And so, lest I be misunderstood... Um, when I talk about the desires of God, and some people, um, honestly, in, in our culture, in our theologies, would say that me saying not the will of God, but the desires of God, would say that I'm wimping God out here. And that I'm saying God doesn't have any what? Chutzpah. That God doesn't have any firmness. That it's all just desire. And so he has no follow through. In Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3, it says, Not unto us, O Yahweh, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Uh, the mercy and truth of God, the chesed and the met, always go true. It's just another theme throughout the scriptures. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he desires. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he wills to do. And we'll see these words in a moment. That it all means the same. And then Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6, it says, For I know that Yahweh is great, and our Lord above all gods, whatever Yahweh pleases, he does, whether in the heavens and the earth and the seas and all the deep places. That God, again, back to those natural attributes, God is not limited. He is limitless. The only limit to God is God himself. He's not limited by man. He's not limited by my desires. He's not limited by my will. He's not limited by my pleasures. Rather, he's limited by himself. And so God can do whatever he wants to do. Straight off the bat, how does that make you feel? 
there's a lot of theologians who don't want to omit this. They'll skip these passages. Because they'll say that God is, is limited. He, and, and I say, he is not limited. He does whatever he pleases. What he is limited by is his own desires, his own attributes, his own being. Do, do you get it? And so, whatever God's greatest desire or will is, will be what God does. And we are made in his image and in his likeness, having dominion over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all the, 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 the creeping things and, and walking things of the earth. Now, as we look at this, I want to look at the expression of his desires, and that's a fancy way of saying, let's look at the words. Let's look at, let's look at what words the Bible is using for talking about um, the will of God. In the New Testament, there are two primary words. There is the word bulamai. Bulamai, you can see, means to will, or be disposed or be minded. Be disposed or be minded. But the place that we need to look to give us a little bit of a shade of meaning here, okay? and understand this for some of you, honestly, today you're going to feel like the waters are just way over you, and you're going to, and, and like you're sucking water, and you feel like you're drowning. Okay? And, and I apologize. There's, we're going to have lots of verses. Okay? But, but I'm not going to change because my greater desire, <laughs> even though my desire is not to bore you, my desire is that, that you guys love me and, and feel that I'm a wonderful guy and take me out to Pizza Hut. No, anyways. But, you know, my, my greater desire is I want you to learn. And I want you to be confronted with the truth of God. And so I'm willing to face the wrath of, of people. Anyways, that's, say the tongue in cheek. In order to do what my greatest desire is. And so that, that noun, the noun side of it, is, is what's going to help us to understand the side of it. And that is bule. And bule, you can see, means counsel or advice. And so when you look at the will of God kind of from the perspective of the bulemai, okay, that to have a will to be disposed, it's to be disposed and be minded because of this counsel concept of advice. Okay, The other word, um, the primary word actually used in the New Testament, is the word thelo. Thelo, and you can see it again means to what? To will. Okay, So you get these two words which both mean to will. But this one means to determine to will, to be inclined or be disposed. And in the noun, it has that sense of desire. So the bulamai has the boule has more of a sense of logical reasoning. Does it make sense? Thelo has more of a sense of the, the the feelings, the desires, kind of tagged together there. Okay, but don't but don't totally just separate them out like that. You kind of have the shade of meaning in your mind that that's where they're heading, but they blend together throughout the scriptures. Do you understand? They're synonyms. They're used intertwined, and we're going to see this in, as we go here in the next so many, so many minutes here. Okay, And so what I want to look at now is I'm, we're going to look at a lot of passages here with using the word bulamai or boule. Okay? And we're going to look at, and again, this is just a toe in the water. If you want all the passages, I can get them for you. Okay? Um, in fact, I just had Ben carry out a stack of papers out to the car because it was making my, my Bible too thick. And, um, but I've got them all. I can give them, give them all to you. And you can, you can have at looking at all these passages, okay? 
both in the, uh, the New Testament and in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that helps us to, to be able to understand a greater idea of how the word is being used. So let's go, first of all, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2. So get your Bibles out. Get ready to roll. None of these are on the screen. Um, I mean, I don't say this to make you feel bad or feel good or whatever, but I was up between 4.30 and 5 this morning trying to, to, to get this part of it presentable to you. And so um, putting stuff on the screen was not my highest desire and priority. <laughs> so, so anyways, so here's what we got here, okay? So 1 Timothy 2, 8 says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and what? Without doubting or dissension, okay? The desire there is the word bulamai. I desire that men pray everywhere. Now, what's interesting is, just to keep this in context, and we'll come back to this one later, but go up four verses. Start at verse 3. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who what? Desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Guess what word that is? It's thelo. It's the other one. It's uh, thelema. And so, again, you've got the two words being used in the same context here, okay? But understand that Paul is talking about his desire then when it talks about um, that all men should pray. Stay in 1 Timothy, turn to chapter 6. I'm going to try not to do much commentary as we go through all these verses. Um, and just allow the, the weight of the word. Excuse me. He says, But those who desire, Bulamai, desire to be rich, fall into temptation, in a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Okay, that's not desires. Those are epithemi, epithemi, epithemia, um, which are harmful desires, lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So those who desire, Bulamai, to be rich, fall into temptation. Uh, Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable. Anybody have a a, a guess where Bulamai is at in here? I want. Good. I want you. I, I want you to do these things. This is my what? My desire. Okay? So get the concept of putting desire in there. Paul's saying that these things I desire for you to affirm. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, distributing to each one individually as he wills, again, or desires, or intends, or counsels. Okay? This is important because, um, as we're going to see, um, as we go probably more next week, the will of God, whenever you see the will of God in the New Testament, 98% of the times, and I'm throwing out a statistic there, okay? It's all but one of them, okay? Um, there's only one occurrence where it wasn't thelo. It's all thelema. It's, it's, it's coming from the thelo side of it, not from the, the bulimai side of it. So this is interesting because in this passage, 1 Corinthians 12 here, it says that the Spirit 
gives them out as he, bulamai, as he desires, okay? Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 6, verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Okay? Got a guess of what our word is here? Okay? You're, you're half right. It's determined, and it is also counsel. Bulamai, the verb, is the determining, and the counsel, um, at the end, the, the immutability of his counsel is boule. And so here you have the same word, um, the, the verb and then the noun used in the same verse there, okay? And so he determined, um, it was his intent, it was his desire to, to do this by his counsel, okay? In James 3, verse 4, if you have the sermon note sheet, you kind of know where I'm going with these verses, they're there. This is talking about the 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 importance of our tongue and an illustration talking about how our tongue and our, and our words can, can direct things. It says, look also, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Again, wherever he wills to go, wherever he wants to go. And then chapter 4, verse 4, it says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants, desires, intends to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So our word bulamai is there, wanting to be a friend of the world. Jude 1 verse 5. Jude verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And so again, Job, uh, Job, sorry, Jude declares that he wants them, he desires them to remember. He, it is his intent that they would remember these things. And so, as we've gone through this word bulamai, again, there are other passages we can look at in bulay, the idea here is that it's a what? It's a desire. It's a desire. It's a desire that comes, stems from a counsel, a, a thought process, an understanding. Okay? Let's go to the word thelo, thelema. Turn all the way back to the book of Matthew. We're going to um, just look in the book of Matthew for these. Again, this is the predominant word that is used uh, throughout the New Testament. And so there are myriads of verses that we can go to. Um, We're just going to look at a couple in the book of Matthew. Look at chapter 5, beginning at verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you, if they desire or intend or have a disposal to sue you and take away your tunic, then let them have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks... And from him who wants, desires, to borrow from you, do not turn away. Okay? Go to Matthew 7, verse 12. 
This is at the end of the ask, seek, and knock passage where Jesus is saying, um, you know, if you want something to ask, he says, verse 12, he says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So whatever you desire men to do, you do. Chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. Drop down a couple of verses there. And I'll start at verse 1 for the context. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, if you desire to, if you want to, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I want to. I am willing. It's my desire. It's my will for you to be cleansed. So be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was, was cleansed. Chapter 16. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said, this is verse 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, wants to, intends to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Chapter 17, verse 4. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, if you will, if you intend to, if you desire for us to, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 13. Jesus is giving the parable of the, the, the man who's gone out and hired servants throughout the day, and he's, and he's paying them the same rate. Okay, And so this is the end of the day. Verse 13 says, But he answered one of them, the master answered one of them, and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish? with my own things, or is your eye evil, because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so twice in there, the master says what? He wants to do as he pleases, as he wishes, as he desires, according to his own will, he will do. And then drop down to verse 25 to 27. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever wants, intends, desires, wills to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, those are all the passages of uh, Thelo and Thelema. Again, what do we see about this word? Primarily, it refers to what? A desire, a want, a wish, an intent, a will, then, according to those desires. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I want to look at a couple verses here where Thelo, Thelema, and Bulamai, or Bule, 
are used together to show the fact that they are um, synonymous and the shades of differences. Turn to John 18. John 18. And I'm purposely going through this because I really want to talk about the embracing side of it. This is the expression of his desires, and I want to talk about the embracing of his desires. Um, John 18, verse 39 says, But you have a custom, this is Pilate talking to the Jews, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so, Pilate looks to them, and I'm trying to figure out why I have this in here, because it only has Bulame in here. Um, and he says to them, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm not sure why I put that there. It should have been up with Bulame, other than I didn't do it thoroughly. But anyways, the idea is for want. Turn to Mark 15. Mark 15, beginning at verse 9. Ah, okay. Now I, know, now I remember why. My, my brain's coming back. Um, because of Mark 15, is the same passage. So John and Mark are t- saying the same thing. Okay, So remember from John, the word bulimai is used here. Do you therefore want me, bulimai, to release to the king of Jews? Okay, And so here in Mark 15, we have the, the, the same passage. But for Mark's version, beginning verse 9, But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Here the word is thelo. Okay? Do you understand? So it's Pilate's same statement, but um, John chooses to use the word bulimai, and Mark chooses to use the word thelo to refer to Pilate's desire. Does that make sense? So Paul, Pilate's saying to them, do you, What do you desire for me to do with you? Then go on. He says, For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to him, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered them after he had scourged him to be crucified. And so Pilate then says to them twice, he says, what do you want me to do with him? That's the word thelo. But down then, in verse 15, at the very end when he says, so Pilate wanting to gratify them, that's the word bulamai. Now again, like I said, for some of you, this is going to be like, so what? You know? Um, hopefully for others, you, you're getting it. Okay? And the idea here is that the word is being used what? Interchangeably. Synonymously. Okay? Um, but in the first two, He's looking for more of their feeling. For the, 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 the last one, the Bulamai, he's looking for a decree, in a sense, if you would, from them. He wants them to make a what? A choice, a decision. Okay? Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verse 11. Paul writes, In him, that is Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
The word counsel is our word boule, and his will is our word thelema. And so both of those are being used there now that of God talking about giving the counsel of his will. Again, the two of those concepts, what? Intertwine. Okay, they're both used together. And then finally, turn to Romans 9, a passage which gives great consternation to many people. If you are from a Calvinistic point of view, you thrive on this passage. If you're from an Armenian point of view, you loathe this passage. If you are from a biblical point of view, then you will embrace this passage and you won't be afraid of it. It, it, will not, it doesn't say what I believe the, the, the ardent Calvinists have it say. Nor does it say what I think Armenians are afraid of it saying. I love this passage. I love this section of the book of Romans. But read what it says here in Romans 9, beginning in verse 16. So then, it is not of him who wills, thelo, thelo, or nor him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, fellow, and whom he wills, fellow, he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his boule? Now, throughout this entire passage, he's saying what? Thelo, thelo, thelo. But in the end, he says what? His boule. So, you know, in other words, it's God can do whatever he wants to do. So who has ever resisted against his counsel? Yes. See the shades of meaning there? And so, the thelo, it's his inclination, his disposal, his desire. But here, all of a sudden, it's his counsel, his Decision. Does that make sense? And so, God has, again, the right to do, as we said in the beginning, whatever he chooses to do. You get it? And who am I, as a lump of clay, to say to the potter, you don't have any right to do that. He's so great, and I'm so small. Get it? He's the potter, I'm the clay. If God wants to take this piece of clay, now understand, it's got to be in conformance with his attributes and stuff like that, but go away from that a moment, and that you don't, don't have your preconceived notions of all of his other attributes and everything else, okay? If God wants to take this lump of clay and go, smash, I think rather I'd have a pot. Does God have the right to do that? The answer is yes. Yes. God can make of me and do with me whatever he wants, desires, wills to do. Because he alone is God. And he gives account to no one.
including me. Job found that out, didn't he? Wasn't it Job who, who felt that he was unjustly being tried and given trials? And yet to his wife he said, Woman, can we receive good from the Lord and not evil? Shouldn't we bless him the same? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when his buddies came around, his friends, with friends like these, who needs enemy, right? And his friends began to judge him and accuse him of all kind of sins. All of a sudden, God uses the, uh, the, the, the mortal and pestle there, the, 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 the fiery furnace of friendship, to um, provoke in uh, Job his pride. And as his friends begin to point fingers and poke and, and talk to him about being a sinner, Job's self-righteousness begins to boil to the top. Do you, do you, get, do you get it? Have you ever seen that? Even though God was using it as a, as a symbol to Satan to show how righteous Job was and, and how Job would continue to worship him, yet God also has that purpose of what? Refining Job. And Job says, I want to see him face to face. I want to present my case. And in Job chapter 39 and 40, we see what? God presenting his case. God coming and saying, okay, Job, stand up like a man. <gasps> Oops. I didn't think it would really ever happen. Yeah? And what did God, what did Job, Job find out? I repent. Woe is me, for I am undone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm covering my mouth. And God says, no, you're not. Oh, you, you've opened your mouth quite a lot. You, you might as well open it up and stand like a man and answer me now. Because now I'm going to ask you some questions. You had your buddies here. You were pretty self-righteous. You're righteous, more righteous than they are. And you're going to be, pr- you're going to be praying and sacrificing for them in a moment. But right now, you're undone, dude. And, and we're going to start filleting out your heart. I know, I'm paraphrasing. But that's all that's going on. And Job found out that God can do whatever God wants to do. Because ultimately, Job was a creation of God. And if God chose to use Job in that manner to glorify his name, he then had every right to do so. Now, in the Old Testament, and we're not going to be looking at passages here, just to, if you don't have the sermon note sheet, to kind of ease your mind, there are three words that are used to interchange with the words bulamai and thelo as we go through. We can. That's okay. Bulamai. Yes, the, the verb, well, but in the, ver, the verbs are used interchangeably. They are. But yet they have within them the shade that the nouns reflect. But, 
but the nouns themselves, not always. They seem to have, at times, that strong switch. Do you understand? There is at times, and it's context. You have to look at context to tell the difference in the connotation. But if would they be able to switch around and still have the same connotation? Yes, at times. At times. It depends on the author. For example, we saw how John used um, bulamai and Mark used thelo for the exact same statement. Uh, understand. No, understand. Okay, but on the noun side then, you can have the will of God and the will of God. Remember how in Paul using talking about the will of the Spirit as the Spirit wills, he uses bulamai there, boule, okay, the noun. Excuse me. It could be, but that's the shade that he's trying to bring out in that. And this is the important point that we're going to get to next week then. So when we talk about the will of God, predominantly being thelema, okay, and we talk about the, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God, being a thelema and not boule, then what shade are you going to start reading into it? Desire, not counsel. That's right. And yet, isn't God's desire good counsel? <laughs> and isn't his counsel great to be, have a, as a great desire? And we're going to see that in a moment. So yes, in a sense, they are, the verbs more than the nouns are used interchangeably. Okay? But yet, each of them have the shade of meaning that I want to draw out. And, and, I, and I want to present. And that's why I'm doing all this, because I want you to see that there are shades. It's kind of like going to the ocean, and, and there are shades of color that are in it. You know, that when you look at it. We were out in the woods on a, was a Friday morning you saw the rainbow, Andrew? There wasn't a storm cloud in the sky. It hadn't rained. And yet he says, Dad, I think I see a rainbow. And I leaned over to where he was so I could look through the little patch of trees that he was looking through. And sure enough, I don't know if it was a rainbow or not, but there were a spectrum of colors coming through the sky at that spot. Does that make sense? And so light has within it those shades. The will of God has within it these shades. And so I want to be careful that I don't draw too much into it of that shade because it's the will of God. But yet the other side is, I know there's a reason and a purpose for God to have these what? Two different words to be used to reveal the shades of his desire. Am I losing you on that? I hope not. So I, I know I'm not giving you a firm, this is this and this is that, because I don't think it's there. where bule and thelema are used interchangeably. Um, no, no, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm going through, I, I've got all these verses and I'm running through my brain right now. Okay, and I'm, I'm trying to see if I have one on, on the sheet that, that we're going through today. Um, Um, I believe Psalm 40, verse 8. Um, no, that's not right either. Let, let's, 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 let's get down there, okay? And, and then we'll look at the, Psalm 40, verse 8. I'm, I'm thinking that, that the, the, the equative is, is going to be there, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, 
we had three words, ratzon, which also is ratza, again, as we look at the, the differences of, of the words. And ratzon means to will, be disposed, or be minded. Chafetz means to incline, or bend, or to delight. But also this, this word, etza, okay, which means to counsel or advice. Now, it's interesting that when the words bulamai, bule, and um, theloth, thelema, come back into the Old Testament through the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, that these three words are used. In fact, with the word bulamai, bule, there are like a half a dozen to a dozen Hebrew words that, that it is used to translate. It's just really incredible. Um, and so, which range anywhere from a want to counsel or advice. The predominant one that is used, that it is used to translate, is etzah, counsel or advice. Okay? The bulamai, by itself, predominantly is used to translate um, the word um, ratzon, and thelo, thelema, is used with kafetz. But again, I'm giving you a what? A generalization, okay? Because they are used, again, intertwinably, okay? And so, these are your words there. Again, if you have the sermon note sheet, they're there. We're not going to spend a lot of time on those, okay? I just want you to see the words that are there, um, and there's a lot that you can do with those in your own study. And I encourage you to, to go out into the ocean on your own and to, to enjoy it. Now we want to talk about embracing his desires. And, and honestly, again, I've talked before about um, um, Esword. Esword is free. You don't have to buy it. It's got the Greek. It's got the Hebrew on it. It's got the Strong's numbers on it. So you don't have to know the Greek and the Hebrew. You know, you can just go to, to the, the, the Psalm 40, verse 8, and you can see where it talks about desire, and you can see what the, the, the Hebrew word is, and then you can do a search on, on that, that Hebrew word. Christopher? Does, is it run on a Linux system? I don't know. Say again. You can get an equivalent for Linux. There you go. Okay. I, 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 use, I use Windows, so I don't know. I use Microsoft. All right. So, the embracing of his desires. Okay? Well, as we look at all these desires, to embrace them. Now, first of all, it's important to Christ. Okay? Why is this important? Because it's important to Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. Beginning at verse 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, asks them to pray for the thelema of God, the will of God to be done on the earth. John 4, verse 34. Ben, I will... uh, I'm thinking more about your question. I'll, I'm going to do a little bit more research on that. Hopefully by next week. As I want to make sure that everything I say is right. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so Jesus says that God's thelema, his will, is important to him. Chapter 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And again, it's the word thelema. And then turn with me finally to Luke 22. 
this is not finally for the, the whole message, but finally for Jesus. Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus is in the garden and He's praying. A passage that we all know very well. He says, Father, if it is Your will, take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. And here you go. The Lord provided it. This is it. Um, I thought there was one. Um, if it's Your will, Boule, take this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My salame would be done, but Yours be done. And so, again, you have the noun being used, each one of them, in the same passage. And now, there's a reason why it's stated that way. Probably so that it would do what? Right, that you would be able to do a contrast here. Okay, And so, that um, if it's your what? Advice, counsel, decree, decision, then let it happen. Nevertheless, not my desire, but your desires happen. Does that make sense? Um, honestly, for me, if I'm translating, I probably would want to put something other than will and will here to, um, to, to denote the shade of what's being stated. However, it is a synonymous word. Do you understand? And so both are wills, but there is a reason why they're being brought out here. And that is probably because one is a decisive decision and the other one is the desire. But yet both are, again, for God, what? decisions. And so, um, but anyways, that's, that's the passage. Okay? Now, finally, we've got just a couple verses here. It's important to us. Okay? The embracing desires should be important to us. Why? Because Jesus said so. Matthew 24, or Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 48. Jesus states, um, but he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my, bro- my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so, again, the fact is that the ones who do the will of God, his desires, are his relations. Still in the book of Matthew 21, chapter 21. Beginning in verse 28 to 31. It says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he... And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, the son answered and said, I will not, fellow. It is not my will. It's not my desire to do that. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the thalema of his father? And he said, the first one. Even though the first one said originally what? It's not my will. But he finally submitted and said, I'm going to do your will. Okay? Matthew um, 7, verse 21. You don't need to turn there. But you can if you want. Or there's it. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So this should be important. It should be important for us to know the desires of God, the will of God. Psalm 40, verse 8 is the passage I talked about before. Um, it says, I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is in my heart. And the word for delight there is the word kafetz, which translates over to thelema in the Septuagint. To do your will, which is the word ratzon, which translates over to bulamai in the uh, Septuagint. Oh my God. So, I delight, I desire to do your counsel, your advice. Oh my God. 
your laws in my heart. And then finally, turn with me to Acts 20. Acts 20. And this, I guess, sums up, again, what I said earlier about the presenting of all this information. And still, this is just a small little segment of the information. Verse 27. Paul states to the Ephesian elders, while he's meeting with them in Miletus, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole boule, counsel, will, desires of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is my hunger and my desire to not shun, to declare to you the whole will of God, the whole counsel of God, the desire of God. And there are men, I believe, in the world today, and I'm not judging whether they're of... They're, they're wolves or not wolves and stuff like that. That's not my job to judge. But I believe that are parsing the word of God wrongfully. And Paul says to be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God has called us to be passionate about Rightly dividing it. And I believe that those men probably have the same passion. But I think they're wrong. And I think there are certain doctrines that have great implications in many other areas. And I believe this is one of those doctrines. As we get into what God's will is and how they come together. And many of them, as we get into this will of God, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And we get into the concepts of election and, and sovereignty of God and, um, and the free will of man. And, and we probably won't spend a lot of time on it because we're talking more about God's desires. But you need to understand that behind the two wills of God, quote-unquote, and you've probably heard that and you might have read that by certain authors, um, there are other belief systems that go into their statements. And you need to be wise as serpents <laughs> at reading what they're saying and read other things that they write to understand the context of what they're saying in these two wills. Because I do agree that God has multiple desires. I've already stated that. But the state that God has two desires when it comes to salvation, one is that he, he desires all men to be saved. It's just not his will. It's splicing. Oh, I can give you the other one. It's splicing those words, and Ben and others. That's why it's important for me to show those words because they're used so interchangeably. And yet there is a slight nuance there. But to me, the nuance isn't great enough. Um, in the, the, the term thelo, 
that is used of God in talking about his will is the word for desire. And so to, 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 to split a hair and to say that God desires all men to be saved, and we'll talk about this more next week, but it's not his will for them to be saved. I don't see where they're getting it from the Greek or the Hebrew. Do you get it? Do you understand what I'm going for here? And we have got to be passionate about reading every verse of Scripture to rightly divide the word of truth. It's okay for me if I can't always bring together God's desires and understand how he brings them together in his decision process. Does that make sense? You can look at me and scratch your head that in this moment I chose pistachio almond ice cream. When all of my life I would have always chosen butter pecan. But for some reason at this moment it was important for me to taste a pistachio almond. I mean, it's mundane. You understand? I'm choosing mundane on purpose here. And, and it could bewilder you. I mean, haven't your decisions of your spouse ever bewildered you? I've lived with my wife for, I'm going to get myself in trouble now, 27 years married, 27 and a half years we've been married. And so we've been, since engagement, 28, a little over 28 years. And then since I've known her, almost 29 years it been in October of that year that we met. Anyways, and it's amazing to me that almost 30 years then, okay, this is the reason for my madness there, almost 30 years later, she can still make decisions, express her will in ways that blow me away. You'd think after 30 years, I got her pegged. But if you talk to Marcia, she'd probably tell you the same thing. You'd think after 30 years, it finally start being totally predictable. I am predictable in many ways, ain't I? Right. I mean, even my kids have me down pat on some things. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I can shock them. <laughs> and you know what? It's the same way with God. And it's okay. It's okay if I'm out there in the ocean and my feet can't touch the bottom and I don't know everything that's brushing against my legs. Some people don't like to be out in the water when, when they feel something brush their legs because they're worried what? It's a shark. <laughs> or a barracuda. And you just never know how many have passed by you and you didn't even know they were there. Jellyfish. I saw those when I was a kid at Virginia Beach. And it was for years that, that till I got brave enough to go out there worrying about a bunch of jellyfish floating past me, you know? God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. How does that make you feel? How does that set with you? Are you okay with it? Can you deal with that? Can you deal with the fact that God didn't come to you and ask for your advice? We may say yes, but I, 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 I challenge you <laughs> through this week when certain things start to happen that God didn't ask for your input. To, 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 to remember, remind, remind yourself how you answered that question, okay? Is it your desire to perform his desires? If I gave you paper right now to write down your top ten desires in life, 
is number one, I want to perform the desires of God. That's what Jesus said. My desire is to do the desires of my Father. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed so that you can prove his will to everybody else that's living around you, which means what? They're going to look at you and know it. Are you willing to be transformed and change the way you think in order that you might display his perfect will? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. Some of it is hard at times. And sometimes we make it harder than it is. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to want to live out your desires. That we would desire to submit to your will, your pleasure, your desires. Because clearly you have said that you have made thing, all things for your will, for your pleasure. So God, I pray that we would live up to that. Pray that you'd help me to submit to your will at each moment. And that we would agree with Jesus. It's not our will, but yours to be done. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.